because I know the hearts of the four musicians who were up here, I will say that that is a beautiful offering of worship and praise to the Lord. I don't recall hearing that song before the first service. doesn't mean I haven't heard it. may have heard it ten times, but it really struck me this morning. It's beautifully sung. Sarah, thank you so much. And Kristen and Scott and David, thank you for uh, leading us to this place of praise before the Lord. Well, it's good to uh, have our new members in. Not only did they complete the class, uh, ha- share their testimony with elders, they also each gave a $5,000 initiation fee into Grace Community Church. So we're in good shape for the holidays. <laughs> well, speaking of the holidays, I mean, they're upon us, aren't they? Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. I, 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 of course, Thanksgiving and Christmas, the holiday season pretty much starts for me the day after the State Fair closes in October. Uh, I start listening to Christmas music then. Allison likes to start listening after Thanksgiving. By the time she's ready to start listening, I'm sick of it. I'm ready to move on to something else. But um, uh, it's, a, it's a great time of the year. And, and probably um, we fall into two categories. Either you love it or you don't care for it at all. I, I would imagine many of you love Christmas. Others of you think that uh, Charles Dickens could have used you if you had been around as the model for Ebenezer Scrooge, except that Ebenezer actually had a change of heart about Christmas, and you have not yet. It's by humbug all the way for you. Some of you are like that. Probably one of the activities that almost all of us have in common when it comes to this time of the year is that we try to get together with family. It's just a big deal. Now, uh, most of the time, that's a good thing. It's not always a good thing. I mean, when family is gathered and there is love and harmony, there's nothing like it. And when family is gathered and there's grumbling and complaining, there's nothing like it. It's just, you know, it's going to be one or the other. That was sort of like the early church was. Both ways. Wonderful unity, grumbling and complaining. Acts 4.32 tells us that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Can you imagine that? 10,000 people on fire for Jesus. They were of one heart, one soul. They were family in the fullest sense of the word. Everything that I have is yours. If you need it, you just... And it wasn't... You know, like we do it on the way out the door. Hey, if I can ever help you sometime, you know. But we say with our body, "Don't please don't call me. But I hope people heard that and know what a great guy I am. It wasn't like that at all. It was, anything I've got is yours, and I mean it. Uh, how about your favorite chair there? Hey, take it. Take the ottoman too, you know. It's, it's yours. No wonder Satan wanted to destroy that church. People were coming to Jesus every day. So Satan tried persecution. The numbers increased. Then he used two people who were, were, were very likely believers, followers of Jesus, Ananias and Sapphira, and said, let's, let's, let's try a little corruption. Let's see what happens there. Very private. <clears throat> private sins affect the body. And God knew that. And he judged the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. And great fear fell on all the people, both in and out of the church. And and, and the church was purified. So strike two. Satan then comes to possibly his most effective ploy yet. In Acts 6, we find the people grumbling 
and complaining, it's enough to tear any family apart if it lasts long enough. If this is your first time at Grace Community Church, you should know that we're going through a study on the book of Acts in our Sunday mornings and in our home groups. Sean Cross preached last week from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through all the way through the end of chapter 7, and we're backing up. We did that for a couple of reasons. Um, and, and we're going to be getting back to Acts. We're stopping after this Sunday for the, for the Christmas season, the Advent season, then the first couple of Sundays of the year. Then we'll be starting back in mid uh, January. And by the way, if you missed the, the message last week, uh, please go to the um, website and download that message. It was very, very powerful that Sean preached. It was very convicting, uh, but very worthwhile for you to take your time to read it. This morning we're going to talk about <clears throat> the structure. What this early church did, there were so many needs. <clears throat> How were <clears throat> these needs to be Tended to. How are they going to administrate the work of the church? Well, we're going to find out in Acts 6, verses 1 to 7. So, as is our custom, if you would please stand and we will read the word together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when they <clears throat> and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, here's something I don't have in my notes, but I felt <clears throat> led to share it at the end of the first reading of the first service, and, and let me do it again. It, it says that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, and that was a direct result of the time that the apostles spent in study and preparation for their preaching and the Word of God. They were making the connections between the Old and the New Testament. And so um, it, it just it, it reinforces the importance of the apostles doing the ministry of the Word. These priests were very influential in the early church. And it's because of the early church exploding the way that it did that we are here today giving thanks to the Lord. And let's do that right now. Father, we just want to thank you. <laughs> For giving us the gift of your Son, Jesus. We also have the gift of your Word, which leads us, Lord, not to a legalistic understanding of the way life works and, and a how to. It's not a how to manual. But as Jesus told us, it points to Him, and we have eternal life in Jesus. This is your church, Jesus, just as. The early church was yours. The whole church belongs to you. 
we need to know how you want us to function. And this is the way you tell us in your word. So we pray that you open our hearts and our minds wide and help us to receive everything you have for us on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. How would you organize 10,000 plus, 10,000 plus brand new believers into some sort of a, a structured, functioning organization? How do you do that? <clears throat> to this point, uh, there's no indication that any thought has been given <clears throat> to church polity or the structure, the way that churches, systems of structure in the church to this point, pretty much the apostle said, this is what you're supposed to do. And everybody said, that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> to this point, the apostles preach. Massive numbers of people get saved. Powerful prayer meetings are held. And people sell their property to help those in need. And the apostles distribute the money. But not everybody was getting a fair shake, at least in their mind. Some people were be being given a great deal of attention. Others were not being given much attention at all. <clears throat> So, as is often the case, a particular need, when a particular need arises, there is a thoughtful and prayerful solution, which in this case ends up becoming the beginning of structure for the church. This structure is going to be given more attention in Paul's epistles, later in Acts. And by the way, there's not a whole lot said about deacons beyond this point, although there is enough said for us to know what we need to know. And plenty is said here and in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, when the qualifications for a deacon are given, and they're very close to the qualifications for, the, <clears throat> for elders, for one to be an elder. But even in its infant stages, this church serves as our model today. We're going to look at three principles in this text. These are going to sort of be the overview of the text, and it's only going to be on the screen for just a moment if you want to write it. Uh, please do, and then we'll move on. There are three things, though, that we see... Uh, in, in, in here. First is, needs in the church present fertile ground for disunity. Now, it doesn't have to. There are always going to be needs, correct? But needs present fertile ground for Satan to get in and say, that's unfair. That's not right. Secondly, elders must give priority to prayer and the preaching of God's word, thereby meeting the spiritual needs of the church, which we tend to think of in the church as primary, do we not? For all of us, the spiritual life is more important than the physical life. Do you agree with that? If that's true, then elders must give attention to that <clears throat> aspect of ministry. Third, deacons have a vital role to play in the orderly function of the church, thereby preserving unity in the body. <clears throat> Satan's best weapon in the church well, it's us. It's us. I wonder if you found, like I have, I, I'm most vulnerable to Satan's attacks in, in one of two times. Either one, when something wonderful has happened in my life spiritually. I've really been motivated by a sermon or Bible study. I've had a incre an incredible prayer time. Or the Lord has done something beautiful in the church and I think it's always going to be like this. Life is, and, and, and I know better, but I still want to think that. I want to feel that way, that life is always going to be good. Somebody reminded me that about 
three and a half years ago, I said from the pulpit, you know, I, I know life is tough, but things have been going so well lately, we need to be on guard for Satan's attacks. Man, have we had Satan's attacks in the last three and a half years. And when you are on top of the spiritual world, there's temptation. Secondly, when you are at your lowest point, there is great temptation. And one of the odd psychological quirks that we have is that when we're really down and out, there's some sin that we know controls us, and yet we, we, we think it brings us a measure of control. Well, I can't do this, but I can certainly do this. I'm going to prove to the world, and I'm going to prove to God that I'm in charge of my life, and then we fall off into some sin like pornography or spending money ridiculously or eating excessively. We just go on and on with these things that, that we think give us control but ultimately control us. When members of the church find themselves in need, and we're not talking just about material needs, but needs of any kind, and when life is difficult, there is great temptation to feel slighted or overlooked. And that can lead to grumbling. That's what happened in the early church. Now, let's try to understand what was going on. And even though we don't have this same kind of a, a problem here or kind of issues here, it, it applies to so many different walks of life. The situation at Jerusalem was tailor-made for conflict. There were two groups of people there, the, 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 the Hebrews and the Hellenists, it said in the ESV, probably a better Translation would be he, uh, Hebraic Jews and Grecian Jews. The Hebraic Jews were those who were very connected with what was going on at the temple in Jerusalem. Many of them lived there. Not all of them did. The Apostle Paul was a Hebraic Jew. But they were very religious. They were, pretty, they, they were extremely conservative. And obviously the Pharisees were legalistic. Well, the apostles all would have fallen into this uh, to group, or most of them would have fallen into this group, not every single one of them, uh, but many of them would have fallen into the, to the category of Hebraic Jews. They were, especially after following Jesus for those three years, they were very committed to the, to the things of God. Now, the, the Grecian Jews were those, most of those grew up outside of Jerusalem. They had moved, many of them had moved to Jerusalem for different reasons. They had been taken away from their homeland their families had some 600 years before and many of them stayed in the lands where they were going uh, where they were taken to and they developed a synagogue system where they would still meet the religion was very important to them and the religion of the law was very important to them they worshiped jehovah they worshiped god but they were also very influenced by the culture around them they, most of them spoke greek and they were pretty much up to, day, up to speed with what was going on in the Roman Empire, the world in that day. And so they thought differently than the Hebraic Jews. And many of them moved to Jerusalem to die. They got old. They said, let's, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's die there. I mean, that's where everything comes from. Well, they'd come to Jerusalem, and many of them had gotten saved. Probably a lot of them didn't speak Aramaic like the Hebraic Jews did. And the apostles were far more familiar with the people who would consider themselves Hebrews or Hebraic Jews than they were the Hellenists. And no doubt, much of their attention went to the widows there. When, when these people came from outside to die, husband and wife came. But who died first, usually? 
husband usually is what happens. The husband goes, women outlive men, they always have. Plus, there was a much larger <clears throat> age span in that day between husband and wife. Maybe eight, ten years. You see a lot of that today. But um, in, in, in that day, the, the husbands were older, so they died. So there were a lot of these widows who were left. Now, the Jewish system, the religious system, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, had a system for taking care. It was based on the law, taking care of all the people, just like our social security system, welfare system, takes care of people, whatever you think of that. We take care of people. It's one of the reasons the church doesn't as much anymore like we used to, because the government has taken over. Well, the religious system did that in that day. And, and when these people said, I'm no longer connected with the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious system, I am now following Jesus, they removed themselves from the system. I've got a friend who uh, is a pastor. He opted out years ago from the social security system. And, you know, he's got some issues coming up. When he retires, which is not in the too distant future. These people had removed themselves from the religious system. And so they needed to be taken care of. Now, I didn't say this a few weeks ago, and I really, it's just speculation. I, I've never heard, never read any commentary about this. But it could be one of the reasons that people sold their property and gave it to the apostles. When you removed yourself from the authority of the synagogue, even though there was the temple, everybody was connected to a synagogue. When you removed yourself from the authority of the synagogue, a smaller church area, like we would consider a church, then um, they could, because they were leaders of the nation, they could take a, some serious action against you. In fact, if you were thrown out of the synagogue, they had the right to come and take all of your property and, and take any privileges away from you, any help to where you would be left begging. And so it could have been that some of the purpose of the selling of the property was sort of a preemptive move. It was like, look, we're going to lose this anyway. These guys don't like Jesus, and they're going to throw, they're going to banish us so we'll sell a property, give the money to the apostles, and let them take care of it. Well, all of that's going on, and the apostles are, are helping the widows who are in need because the, the law no longer takes care of them. And they were apparently giving attention to the Hebraic Jews rather than the Grecian Jews, and the Grecian Jews felt ignored, and the grumbling began. Now, this word grumbling, complaining in the, in the ESV, is a very strong word. It's the kind of thing, you know, uh, the love that we have seen just a few chapters before and just a few weeks before is being challenged because people are saying, I cannot believe it. I mean, all they care about is the Hebrew widows. Are we not part of the body? And so the Grecians were complaining. And, and did they have a legitimate complaint? Yes, but they were going about it the wrong way. Now, as I said earlier, we don't have the specific problems about the Hebraic widows and the Grecian widows in our church, but there are all kinds of issues that create grumbling, and grumbling easily rises to the surface of church life. Why? The possibilities are limitless. Kent Hughes says this about grumbling, quote, Countless works for God have been destroyed in this way. God blesses a work. Souls come to Christ. 
the church reaches its communities, missionaries are set out. Then someone complains that he or she is not appreciated or is being neglected. Perhaps this comes in the form of a critical glance, a name forgotten, a social gaffe, or some imagined offense. Bitter dissension ignites and spreads, and the whole work goes up in flames. I, uh, <laughs> there's a lot that I didn't put in that Kent Hughes was talking of. One of the things that he said was, church in Dallas split, and it got into papers, and, and of course they did a little investigation, and the reason it split was they had a church dinner, and there was a gentleman, uh, an adult man, who got a smaller piece of ham than the child beside him. How horrible. How sad. I mean, look, we, we, get, ex, we get upset over the most ridiculous things. Temptation is great for all of us to feel abused or neglected or uncared for. And it gets into that. Another thing that Hugh said, and I, I started to put this in, but I, I didn't, but... Whenever you're grumbling, the first place to look is in the mirror. Look at your own heart. Because this is not God's way. It's the children of Israel walking around. It's the same word that's used for the children of Israel grumbling and complaining. You may think you're going to set things right. But in reality... You're setting the church up for real problems, and you're setting yourself up for judgment. God just doesn't put up with this. Now, the, the, the elders handle this very, very well. The grumbling reached the apostles, or the, the apostles, not the elders, and, and they brought the whole church together to address the problem. And here's what they said. All right, we've got an issue here, but here's the way we're going to handle it. It's not right for us to leave the ministry that we're doing to do this social ministry. It is a very important ministry, this social ministry. We, we do not deny the fact that people have needs. These Grecian widows have, have significant needs. But, but we can't do it all. So, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to charge you to pick out from among you seven men full of wisdom, <clears throat> spirit and the wisdom, good repute, and we'll appoint them to this duty. Now, we do it a little backwards here. We, the elders present names to you to consider for the deacons, for you to affirm. And you say, yes, these are the people that we believe. It's the same principle. It's just, just done a, a, a little bit differently. But <clears throat> they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, how does that strike you? I mean, does that seem a bit arrogant? It's not at all. It's not at all. It's just the elders, the apostles saying, this is the way God has designed the church to function. We're seeing this. We're understanding this. We're figuring this out. And this is what we want you to do. We're going to think about the, what the apostles did not mean when they made this statement. And then Jim McLaughlin, one of our elders, and indeed one of our founding elders here at Grace Community Church, is going to come and he's going to share along the lines of what the responsibilities of the elders are. Now, when he comes up to speak, there'll be some stuff on the screen that's not necessarily going to coincide. You ever watch those news shows where they're saying one thing and there's something else on the screen and you're just getting more and more information? That's what we're going to do, try to bombard you this morning with information. 
And since the, since the elders fill the role in modern churches, as the apostles did in the early church, um, they were functioning like elders function today, although elders by no means have that same apostolic authority where they can say, Thus saith the Lord, and then give something new. Everything we say is based on the Word. But we're going to talk about the position of elders here. So here's what they were not saying. The apostles were not saying that the spiritual leaders of the church are better than anyone else. That the elders are better than anyone else. I can assure you that the group of elders right now do not feel that way at all. In fact, elders ought to be some of the most humble people in the church. Furthermore, the apostles did not mean to say that the elders are too important to serve in social ministry. Uh, in fact, the apostles absolutely refused to be held up as more important than they were, and they symbolically washed one another's feet just as Jesus had taught them to do. Paul introduced himself frequently as a servant of Jesus Christ. Peter said he was a fellow elder with the elders uh, of the churches where he was writing. He, he put himself on the same level. The apostles were also not saying that the elders make all the church decisions. In fact, they went out of their way to say that others should make those decisions, should distribute the money that they had been given to them, distribute this money among the poor. One other thing we want to say too, I, I want to say about spiritual leadership before Jim comes, is that there's a principle today that that, that often thinks about um, how leaders should be chosen that is very, very unbiblical. Uh, spiritual leadership is not a popularity contest. It's not the most successful business people in the, in the body. It's not the, it's not the successful coaches in the body, although we may have successful coaches in the body that are, and successful businessmen who are elders. But it's spir spiritual leaders need to be exactly what the term implies, spiritually minded people who lead the church of God. So, that's what the apostles did not mean when they stated that they could not leave the ministries of prayer and the Word to wait on tables. What exactly did they mean? Well, Jim's going to talk a little bit about service, both by elders and deacons. And um, then we'll hear from a deacon in just a few minutes as well. Thank you, Brad. <clears throat> if you do look at the points here, I will, will sort of talk about the points. Um, interesting, when you look at these points, the first one, uh, elders have been called to lead the church. When we first started the church uh, many years ago, I forget how many, but I forget a lot of things. That's, one of the reasons I'm one of the founding elders is because I'm old and I have the privilege of forgetting. <clears throat> and I forget what I want to forget. Now, we prayed about that. We had about 12 or 14 families that started the church, and we prayed who were going to be the original elders. Uh, we were led by Ricky Mill, who's one of our interesting, one of our focus for the day, uh, the prayer. And uh, Ricky guided us quite well through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and it was quite a, quite a time. There was a lot of serious prayer that took place, and uh, it was a big decision even to agree to be an elder, and it still is. And I will say, having served on the elder board off and on ever since we started the church, that the current group, we have Mike Moneypenny, we have Drew Peterson, we have Scott Colberth, and, and, and Bert Wallace, and myself, and Brad as the teaching elder. This group, uh, we do not always agree, 
but we're always unified. And that has not always been the case. And that is clearly of the Lord. That is clearly the Holy Spirit uh, working powerfully through, through a group of men who are, and it, this, this group, uh, per, per, perhaps the present speaker excluded, uh, are very humble. Uh, they understand their limitations and that they're called by God to do this. Uh, and I'm sort of referred to, we all have our particular gifts, I'm sort of referred to as the guardian of orthodoxy. Uh, and that's because you see here in this point one, protecting the flock from heresy, false teaching. Uh, we're all called to do that. That's very important. I've left the church one time over controversy in my li entire life, and it was because heresy was being preached and taught. Heresy will kill the sheep. And the big problem is, of course, we're called shepherds of the sheep, but we're sheep. And the problem, one of the problems we run into is the sheep are shepherding the sheep. And all the sheep are some sort of like somewhat dumb. <laughs> you know, sheep are stubborn. Uh, but I think one of the most important things about <clears throat> overseeing the ministry of the church is that we have to know what the needs are. And we know the needs are always to hear the gospel proclaimed clearly, powerfully, and accurately. And we focus on that as elders, that, that in prayer. And I think that's consistent with what we see here in this passage of Acts. Uh, and then, but any vital New Testament church will minister in spirit. That would be the elders take care of the spiritual concerns. And we minister in need. And that would be, we see here in this passage of scripture the deacons were appointed chosen to minister to needs they call it the distribution the word for distribution there in this passage means uh, particular needs particular services and it's also the word that we get our word deacon from and you see these, these guys, look, look who these early deacons were. Stephen, Philip, Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Philip, the first evangelist of the church. They, they were spiritual leaders, but they also were called to lead in the, in the ministry to needs in the church. So it's just a, it's a, it's a division of labor. The apostles had their role, the spiritual needs of the church, and the deacons had their role, the physical and material needs of the church. And that's the way we read the scriptures to apply to us today as a New Testament church. And then it's the second point says, all members of the church are called to serve in one capacity or another. Well, that's, I see that as the challenge of this passage. The challenge to each one of us, elders, deacons, members, attenders, is what? To be deacons, in, in, in one sense of the word. We're all called to be servants. Uh, and, and, and I want to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Because if we want to truly be servants, 
We have, we have our deacons here at Grace Community Church who work hard. They work too hard. They're not called to do the ministry of the needs. They're called to oversee the ministry of the needs. And that includes telling me and you what they need and what the needs are. And then we all pitch in. We're all servants. And that's the challenge to us. Be a deacon. Be a servant like these men. And, and to do that, well, if you want to be a true servant, you will have to be like Jesus. That's a little challenging, is it not? To be like Jesus. And what does Philippians 2, 5 through 8 say? It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see that, we read that, and we hear somebody saying, he's our model. And we say, I'm not sure I want to be that. Of course not. In our natural self, we're selfish. We don't want to serve. We want to be served. And if we don't get served, we get mad, even, don't we? We get upset. And yet the Word tells us to be servants. And a key phrase there, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, it's not natural. It's only a result of the new birth. When we have Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit in us, then we're changed. Uh, I don't naturally want to serve anybody. I want to be served. Uh, serving others is not easy. It's not without cost. Uh, it's only in Christ that we can do it. There's another important point in this passage here. What happened to Stephen? What happened to Jesus? Jesus was crucified on the cross and Stephen was stoned to death. The world will not like us if we are like Jesus. And Jesus tells us that. He says, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The world will say, let's get rid of, the, let's get rid of these people. And you may have experienced this in your job. You may have experienced it in your family. You may have experienced it otherwise. Jesus and Stephen and the others who were martyred experienced it to the ultimate degree. And we may experience that. I pray not. But if we do, what do we learn from, from Acts? Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be able to say, Father, forgive them for this sin. Because we will be like Jesus. And surely the one who has saved us, has called us to be a part of his family, and has made us joint heirs with him, will enable us to do that. I call on you through the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be servants. Serve this body.
as the deacons ask you to do it. And they are going to ask you specifically in just a moment or talk about some ways that you can help. Um, one of the primary principles of spiritual leadership, and make no mistake about it, a deacon is a spiritual leader in the church. One of the primary principles of spiritual leadership uh, is to find men who are spiritually matures to put into those positions. Often the church today wants to put spiritually immature people into positions of leadership and, and, and hope that they grow into that. But, but that's not God's design at all. He's called us to find faithful men and then put them in the positions. Now, they're going to grow all elders, all deacons, all home group leaders, all Sunday school teachers, uh, all, everybody, children's ministry workers, we're all going to grow as leaders. But spiritual integrity needs to be there from the beginning. So the apostles required that spiritually minded men of integrity be presented to them for approval as deacons. And this decision pleased the church greatly. Everyone thought this was a great idea. And so instead of a crisis arising, the church benefited greatly. It's quite interesting that all of the men who were chosen were Grecian Jews. None of them were Hebraic Jews. And they said, these Hebrews said, you Hellenists, take this money that's been given to us and take care of the needs of the entire body. They gave them a great deal of authority and responsibility. Deacons are extremely important for the successful functioning of the church. God's Word, as we have already heard, tells us that there are no small positions in the body of Christ. In the same way that elders are charged to lead the church, in certain ways deacons lead the organization of the social and material aspects of the church. Elders oversee the spiritual ministry, and they oversee even this others, but the deacons are, are charged to, to get it done. And our elders and deacons are, are seeking to work hand in hand much more than we have even in the past. We're getting together constantly or a lot to talk about the needs of the church. And deacons, we have concluded that deacons do everything the elders don't want to do. Now, that's not correct at all. It's absolutely not true. It was no more possible for the seven deacons in Acts chapter 6 to do the work of, to, to, to administrate um, money and, and, and uh, material assistance and to take care of all the organizational problems for 10,000 people than it was for the 12 apostles. I mean, it doesn't make sense that the 12 apostles say, we don't have time to do it, so we'll let these seven people do it. No, they were saying, these people are going to lead the church. The load is far too heavy for them to carry alone. How can you help? Well, Neil Manning is going to come and talk a little bit about exactly how you can help carry the load of our church where we believe that every member is a minister. While he speaks, consider the results of this new structure in the church. The Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Look, if the Word of God is going to increase in our area and the disciples are going to multiply greatly in this church, everybody needs to be doing the role that God has given him or her to do in this church. And the deacons help us. By the way, let me just uh, say, Jim mentioned all the elders. Joe Aiello 
Colby Elmore, Steve Eisenberg, Brian McKendry, Scott Shambly, Neil Manning are the deacons. If you're a deacon and you're in here, would you stand up so everybody can know who to come to when, uh, and when they need to say, what can I do to help? Because I know you're all dying to ask that question right after this service. So, Neil, come and give us some specific ways people can help. Thank you, Brad. Uh, good morning. Uh, as Brad said, I am Neil Manning, one of the, the six current uh, serving deacons here at Grace. Um, and Brad, when he asked me to come and say something about the deacons, um, my heart initially and immediately went to uh, how much of a challenge this study in Acts has been to me, um, looking at the unity and the zeal that the, the church had in that first century. And, and I quickly moved over to how humbling and honor it is to be able to serve in this capacity when you read about men like Stephen or Philip and you're expected to somehow fill those shoes. Uh, it, it is humbling uh, and it's quite an honor that, uh, that this local body would actually agree to uh, have me and the five others serve in that capacity. Uh, so I thank you, Grace Community Church, for the opportunity uh, to serve in that role. Um, you should see now a list of um, ministry areas that the deacons assist. And I say assist because, just as Brad pointed out, we can't do it all. Uh, just as those uh, original seven deacons couldn't maintain the workload by themselves for the, the Jerusalem church of 10,000, nor can the six of us here at Grace uh, take care of all the needs of our nearly 3,000 congregation. Uh, some of you are laughing while I got that number, but I, I'm seeing the, the crowd line up behind the door for the chili here. So, <laughs> It seems that anytime food is involved and in, entered into the equation, the, the responsibilities of the deacons are increased. I, I don't know how that happens. Um, but if you've noticed, if you've done anything with maybe the buddy teams, providing meals to those who are, who are sick or, or hurting, uh, perhaps you noticed some different shades of paint in the lobby this morning, or um, many of us will, will take advantage of the maintenance in the kitchen, which is being used to prepare our food this afternoon. No, the deacons can't take credit for for doing any and all of those things, but we do assist, we manage, we can coordinate and, and help in, in all these areas. So if, if you have an inkling of a talent or a skill or even, even the desire uh, to serve Christ, please come up and talk to us. Uh, we, we want to get you involved, we want to equip you so that you can equip the other saints in the body. And I say that you're serving Christ because remember what Christ said is that if we give so little as a cup of water to one that is his, we're doing it to him, aren't we? Um, so if you have any such desire, I encourage you and challenge you to serve Christ by serving this local body. Again, you can see me, you can see uh, Scott Chambly, Stephen Eisenberg, um, Colby Elmore, uh, Joe Aiello, or Brian McKendry. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. And please know that um, the deacons will be taking charge as soon as we dismiss here in just a moment. Uh, and we have to tear down, set up. There are just so many things that 
need to be done. And the same handful of people end up doing those things most of the time, time and again. So we need more people to be involved assisting the deacons in their ministry. Wow. We are uh, over, over time this morning. We had a lot going on in the second service. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to uh, then be dismissed with the benediction. And then the deacons, as I say, will help us to set up. And I hope, if you, if you haven't planned to stay, I'm sure we're going to have enough. Chili, baked potatoes, stuff like that. So hang around, eat some, and help us uh, get this church prepared for the Advent season.